course, I, I gave them, you know, fake names and fake date of birth because I'm like, there's no way I'm trusting you with that information. John Smith, first of the first, 1901. <laughs> you look great, John. <laughs> If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Welcome to myprivacy.help with Faris and Gordon. Whatever you do online becomes information stored on someone else's computer. We help you reclaim control of your data, your privacy, your life. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of MyPrivacy.Help. Did you know that everything you do online is actually stored on someone else's computer? And as we are about to discuss today, that is information that can potentially be hacked, stolen, and sold to highest or even just a very low bidder on the dark web. So I'm here with Gordon. And Gordon, I am... I want you to tell people a bit about your background and basically why we started myprivacy.help. Hey, Faris, that was not the introduction we agreed upon, but that's okay. I'll uh, I'll fix it on the fly. <laughs> well, no, it's. I think it's important that people know that you know what you're talking about because I have started taking online privacy and security a lot more seriously since um, I've been getting to know you on a professional basis, but it is important that you tell people what your background is and basically what your bona fides are in this area. Fair enough, Faris. Fine, fine. Uh, Before we get started, though, head across to myprivacy.help slash podcast. That will have all the links to all the platforms that we're on from video to audio only and whatever you're listening to this on now. This is the only the second episode. So we've done a couple of episodes of recording, but this will be the second episode published. So we would appreciate it if you like, follow, subscribe, share, review, all that kind of stuff. It helps us to get popular and uh, spread this educational content to people like yourself who are listening to it. So myprivacy.help slash podcast. Well, without, with that plug out of the way, Ferris, my background is in computer science, IT, information systems, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I, w- I was really interested from what we call sort of the the back, the sort of the, the back end kind of thing in terms of databases, networking, security. So you have the front end, which is usually programmers. They do the websites and the interfaces. The back end does databases, networking, security, uh, hosting of sites and everything in between. And for whatever reason, maybe that's because I'm artistically challenged and I am creatively challenged as well. Um, I kind of suck at that interface design and that. Um, that's where I sort of ended up. So most of my jobs and my university degrees have uh, come through that, uh, computer science. And uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because you're doing the typical thing of underselling yourself. When you say your jobs and university degrees, what university degrees do you have and who did you work for and what did you do? Well, I was about to get into that before you really interrupted me. (laughs) Um, By the way, this is only our second episode, but Faris and I have been doing another podcast. So we're we're like an old married couple that just bicker with each other. Um, Bitcoinbasics.help if you want to have a listen to that. 
my degrees, well, I've got a master of computer science. I've also got a master of education as well. And I did that when I was teaching internationally. I was teaching computer science in high school uh, in Southeast Asia. And I majored in information security. So that's sort of, as I was saying before, you know, um, databases networking and especially uh, how data flows throughout a system and designing systems that can be secure. So talking about data leaks, talking about hacking. Um, yeah, I kind of know a little bit about that. And and one of my first jobs was to work uh, for one of Australia's biggest banks. So I got the good and the bad of that. The good was I got an awesome experience and I worked with some amazing people who were a million times smarter than, smarter than me and I sponged off them. I guess the the reality was uh, you think of a bank being super secure and being really particular about its processes and procedures. Nah, uh, you just got, uh, you just heard basically every single day of something that was failing, something that was broken from ATMs being hacked to to all kinds of things. So I got a good experience in terms of the reality versus the theory in terms of computer security. And security and privacy are intertwined. And on this podcast, we talk about them a lot. Um, you know, sometimes you can't really have privacy without security and vice versa. But uh, yeah, I've always kind of been that kind of person who was always interested in not hiding my information or my data, but how to keep it protect and only optionally sharing what I need to share the bare minimum. And so for whatever reason, Faris, that's my background. That's what I've worked in. And uh, that's my persona. If you other people call me extremely paranoid, but you know what? In cases like this, it's good to be extremely paranoid because you will thank yourself. Yeah. Now, when you say in cases like this, we're actually jumping on today because there's a specific case we want to talk about. And that's what's happened recently in Australia with Optus. Um, from my understanding, there's been a huge security breach where um, is it how many millions of customers this personal information has been um, hijacked? Yeah, so full full disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a journalist. I'm just uh giving you some broad strokes of information of what I've read online. I think this story is evolving, so there'll be more information that comes out. Um but yeah, to to summarize what's happened, Optus left their front door open and not not unlocked, they left their front door open and they had 11.2 million um people inside their house. And um, they started to realize when several people started to walk through their front door, that's uh, maybe not a good thing. So then Optus decided to close their front door and uh, say, well, um, we've closed the problem. We've fixed the problem. Sorry about all that information that's been leaked. Sorry, when you say they left their front door open, can you give a bit of detail? What does it actually mean? Yeah, of course, I'm being pessimistic. Uh, again, um and, and I think this is important. So for people who aren't Optus customers, Optus is one of the largest, correct me if I'm wrong, Faris, I think it's the second largest. You got it is the second largest Optus. telecom company in Australia. And as far as I know, um, it's reported there are 11.2 million records, customer records that were breached. And you think about the population in Australia, that's about half the country. 40%. Yeah. 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 Just under half the country. So this is a huge data leak. And if you're not with Optus, so if you're with, you're in Australia and you're like, ah, oh, I'm with Telstra or you're in the UK and you're with British Telecom or Virgin or whoever, or you're in the USA and you're like, I've got AT&T Verizon, just replace the word Optus for your internet service provider. So this is applicable to you just because 
Um, they haven't been hacked. As we said before, um, there are two kinds of businesses, those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked. Um, I think this is a good reality check and a good sort of use case as to maybe what you could do to sort of mitigate and protect yourself against these kind of data leaks. So, uh, sorry, I'll get back to you. They left the front door open. Was this just negligence? Was this something from the inside? I know you don't have too much detail because this is an evolving story, but any idea how this happened? Was it a really intricate hack or was it a simple one? It was a really simple hack. And I, I hate to use the word hacker because the analogy of like someone off the street saw that your front door was open. They rush in, grabbed the TV and went out. That was a sophisticated burglary. Well, no, they just stole that because you left your front door open. Um, going, going into the particulars that, and to be honest, Ferris, the how and the why sort of thing is not as interesting because it's done, right? 11.2 million records, customers information, not just present customers, but past customers mm-hmm. as well. Um, I'll, I'll give you a really quick explanation, but I don't think it's super important. Es- essentially, um, Optus left access through what is called an API. It stands for Application Program Interface. It's just a fancy way of saying they left their customer database open. Now, what you <laughs> what you would hope doing, now maybe they did that for marketing purposes, maybe they did it for accounting, like who knows. Um, number one, that's probably a bad thing. But number two, uh, if you did that, you would restrict it. You know, you restrict it to certain users. You would need some sort of authentication, like some sophisticated username and password. Um, you would make that read only, so you couldn't change it, all that kind of stuff. But apparently, no, they left it completely open with no login required. So what what someone did is found the particular URL of that um, database, which was api.optus.com.eu slash whatever. And they simply went through, you know, what is called brute forcing iterations of customer numbers. And so they just Jeez. went through all the customer numbers, you know, let's start at 2001, 2002. And that's what they did. And the only reason why Optus uh, sort of found out was because they were seeing a lot of high traffic to that particular website saying, oh, um, I guess someone's doing something that's not quite right. We'll just shut it down. But, you know. <laughs> 11, 11.2 million records later, uh, it's a little bit too late. So, no, it wasn't a sophisticated attack. It was gross negligence on Optus's behalf. So when we say records and personal information, what are we talking about? Is it simply just um, John Smith had an account with Optus at some stage in his life, or is it more more than that? Um, so I can simply quote what Optus from the horse's mouth. So this is not speculation. This is from Optus's website. And this is from uh, two family members and three or four friends that have been essentially hacked. And, and they got an email to this effect. No financial information or passwords have been accessed. The information which has been exposed is a combination of your full name, date of birth, email, phone number, and or address associated with your account. No ID document numbers or details have been affected. Now, just before you interrupt, I have verified, and there are certain ways you can verify um, actual customer data for a family member. That is a complete lie, the last statement, because 
the person I was verifying, their driver's license was actually released. So to say that no document information has been, that's that's a complete lie, firstly. And secondly, for other people, and this is third-hand knowledge, I don't know this for a fact, um, their Medicare information, their Medicare card has been uh, leaked as well. So that's the official statement from Optus. So worst-case scenario, this information gets out there, and if you are someone that's affected by this, what do you have to look out for? I know we're, we're thinking identity theft, but realistically, what is the fear or what could happen with this information? Like yeah, that's all the usual the stuff. Yeah, that's all the usual stuff, as you said, Faris. Um, and I know I've got so many links that I will put in the show notes of this episode. So if you go to um, myprophecy.help slash podcast, click on this episode, which is episode two, um, I'll have a little links to all that sort of stuff. And you can actually check to see whether your email address has been hacked and, you know, on, on these customer lists. There are also other things you could do um, to see if your uh, document ID, whether that was your driver's license or password, is in the data breach as well. Um, what can people do? I mean, oh, so I was thinking about this before this episode. I was like, well, there's really nothing you can kind of do. Um, you can be vigilant, of course. Um, I've had several family members who have already got emails from apparently Optus support, which is not Optus support, you know, click this link, update your details, whatever. So the usual stuff, look out for that kind of stuff. I mean, you never click links and emails, but I guess the number one thing is identity theft. And especially with your driver's license, I mean, if you've got a driver's license, name, date of birth, and physical address, you can open a bank account. You can pretty much open all kinds of accounts. And they've also got your email address as well, which is not great because your email address is usually where password resets go. And there's all kinds of things that could be done. So worst case, identity theft. I think probably for most people, it will be uh, you know, nefarious people trying to open bank accounts, get extra lines of credit. Uh, that, that would probably be the, the biggest thing. So with this, how, if someone has been affected, how could, what should they do to mitigate? Should they um, cancel their driver's license, cancel credit cards and go on? I know you can go to these credit score websites where if anything happens in your name, you get an alert. I, I used to have that when I was in Australia. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Equifax. So while I was coming up with a list of what you should do. So if you're, if, if you're a current customer and if you're a previous customer, I know a lot of people aren't customers of Optus anymore, but you may be surprised that your information, whether it's old or current, um, is in that data link as well. So, um, I mean, it's very difficult to change your date of birth, right? It's very difficult to change your physical address. From a practical point of view, change your email. And I know that sounds, oh my God, I use my email for everything, but email addresses is a lot more important as I said before, like password resets and all that kind of stuff. If you can change your email and I'll go into some best practices later on, but an easier way to do that. Um, but I mean, what else can you do? Change your, change your um, phone number, change your address. I mean, change your driver's license. It, it I guess it depends on how extreme you want to go. Um I know two people, actually not from Australia, but both US that have had their identity stolen. Believe me, it took them about three years for them to get their identity back. They had several bank accounts in their name. They had everything from credit cards to even parking or speeding fines. And one of these people was actually 
you know, they had a warrant out for the arrest. They had like $50,000 worth of speeding fines. So um, I can't really answer that because that's an individual question. Like how, how much of a threat do you think that is? If it happened to me, and I know this sounds extreme, if it happened to me, yes, I would. I would go down to the um, uh, driver's license place and and get a new driver's license with a new number because the number one way to open all these things, whether it's a new phone number or credit card or bank account, is to have certain points of ID in a driver's license is pretty much all you need to set up a new account. So, yes, I would change my driver's license. So just on that, because your driver's license details have been accessed, it doesn't mean they hold a physical copy of your driver's license. So how can someone open a bank account if all they have are the numbers of your license? No, and a bank account is pretty extreme. But remember, a lot of these services do happen online. You know, you, you all you need to do is provide a number. And you would hope that that financial institution wouldn't just take a number that make mm. you take a selfie with it, with it, or yeah. that make you scan or some of that, but you never know. There could be some other, mm. you know, get, get some quick credit, you know, get some payday loans, all this kind of stuff. Like who knows? Right. Yeah. So for anyone listening, if this has happened to you, it is worth being a little bit paranoid because this the and like this is you know some people have had their um pass passport details out there. It is worth going the extra mile now because as Gordon said, identity theft is not something you want to be a victim of because recuperating from that and fixing that will be far harder than going through the effort now of getting new email addresses, canceling or getting upgrading your license. That that will be a lot easier now than having to deal with the ramifications of identity theft. Uh, so Gordon, just talking about Optus. Um, why were they holding all this information? Uh, you're talking about not just current customers, but even old customers. Why were they still keeping this information? And legally, were they allowed to? Or what are the the laws or just practices behind that? You're kind of asking me like I'm the president of Optus. I'm not. Um, I don't know why they're holding it. There is absolutely no reason to hold it. If someone is a customer and to create an account, you have to verify with a driver's license, fine. But I mean, why do you have to keep that driver's license on file? That's to me, that's insanity. There are particular government retention records. It depends on what state you're in. Uh, that could be anywhere from two years to five years or six years. But again, you know, ha- keeping that information, I-, I-, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And of course, you know, from a government point of view, it's kind of like, well, um, you know, we, uh, and I'm speaking to to Optus and businesses, you know, we require you to um, keep this personal data for everyone. And, the, you know, the business is like, well, we've lost this personal information. So um, there is a political question. And to quote, um, sorry, I'm just trying to find it here, to quote an article from Zenit that I will link. Uh, in 2020, Optus refused giving customers, this is two years ago, customers stronger rights over control of their data due to significant technical hurdles. They also refused greater consumer power to take legal action against companies over data breaches. So you can say Optus was negligent in this particular data breach, but two years ago, they refused to be compliant with data retention policies and they refused to give customers stronger rights over control of the data. So, I don't even know how to respond to that. 
that's because, and this is what people need to appreciate is what you do online says more about you than anything else these days. And is this something people need to be concerned about? Is there metadata? So everything that they did while customers of Optus, is that at, um, out there on the dark web as well? Do we know? I think that's your favorite word, metadata. What What is metadata? So metadata, from my understanding, is basically all the data that your computer is hitting. So if you're going to, which websites you're going to, at which time of day, from which devices. So the data's inside the computer. Well, no, it's Sorry, not. Sorry, I'm, it's I'm inside, that's a zoom. Not inside your computer. Your data <laughs> is at Optus's computers. I'm, uh, I'm quoting Zoolander where I think that. Uh, yeah, metadata is data about data. So were Optus keeping phone calls of who you called, what time you called? I don't know. That data wasn't leaked. So this is just, cust- well, when I said just, this is customer's data. So it's not metadata. Okay. So, all right. So well, just, to, just to finish off this, if you're a current Optus customer, I, I can't tell you what to do. This is what I would do. I would change my email address and I would change my driver's license. I know that sounds extreme. You might use your email address for everything and you're like, that's too much of a pain. That's that's up to you. Um, changing a driver's license, that's a huge inconvenience. Again, that's up to you. That's what I would do to completely mitigate identity theft, even oh, if there's else, only a 5% chance. Look, something else I would actually do personally is I would sign up for one of these credit check companies that they basically advise you if anyone is applying for a loan or for any opening of a bank account in your name. So as soon as anything financial happens in your name, um, or your, I think even an email address you can include, you will get a notification. That's something I would do without hesitating, without hesitating. That was my exact next point. So Optus customers have been offered a 12 month free subscription to Equifax Protect. And I would not pass go, do not collect $200. Call up Optus right now and um, sign up for that because number one, it's free, and number two, you're gonna you're gonna get notified if anyone is uh, trying to use your identity in terms of credit. Um, here's so this, uh, b- before we go on to best practices, Ferris. Um, you're in my mind. You guys are to bring up, <laughs> I, I, of course, and and there's mm-hmm. no point doing a podcast without best practices, like. You know, I, I've looked at blog posts and a couple of podcasts and YouTube videos that is bashing on Optus. Okay, but what what can you do about it? Like, if you're not an Optus customer, again, if you're British Telecom or Virgin in the UK or AT and T Verizon in the US or in Australia with Telstra, whatever, who cares, who right? Cares? Well, no, actually, there's a lesson to be learned, and also we haven't even mentioned passwords. Like, it was actually lucky that passwords weren't breached, but we'll get to that. Something that kind of annoys me, and this is um, from Reuters or Reuters, depending on how you want to say it. Here is a quote from uh, uh, Anthony Albanese, our current PM. And this is dated yesterday, so 26th of September. And he has said, we want to make sure that we change some of the privacy provisions there so that if people get caught up like this, the banks can let can be let know so that they can protect their customers as well. So his, his entire takeaway from this, 11.2 million customers past and present, their date of birth, email, uh, physical address, driver's license have been stolen. His entire takeaway from this is that we need the banks to be notified quicker. Completely missing the point of data retention. 
Is it? I'm not going to specify as to what, because as yeah, as far as this goes, politicians are always behind the curve when it comes to understanding the power um, behind social media and um, uh, and these companies. They just yeah, they just can't grasp it. So <laughs> I'm not going to even go down that rabbit hole. You know, pretending he knows what he's talking about. So I don't mean to be critical there, but I've watched a couple of in America when the um, committee sat down with Mark Zuckerberg, they had no idea even of the um, Facebook business model. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to get political either. And I, I don't really care for his comments, but it just goes to show how clueless how uh, any government is. Yeah. In, yeah. in terms of that. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think, I think at the end of the day, without being depressing for us, and this this podcast has been pretty depressing, especially if you're Optus customer, um, is what lessons can we learn from this? And this is going to sound really negative and pessimistic, but it's practical. In my opinion, assume that any information that you give, any personal data that you give, whether it's to your local coffee shop, you know, for their rewards program and buy five coffees, get one free, to the government, to any business in between, including your local ISP or your employer, is at some stage going to get leaked. Okay, you have zero control over that. What does that mean, though? That means that the only control that you have is what information you give. I see people filling out, you know, these coffee shop rewards programs, asking for their physical address, their phone number, them their mobile number, their email address. It's like, why are you giving this information away? It's just insane. So number one would be to give the minimal amount of information. If you want to sign up for a coffee shop rewards program, that's fine. But you might want to think about what information you're giving away. And secondly, just because, the, and this gets into a little, little bit of a legal ethical thing, just because the coffee shop rewards program wants your phone number, you don't have to give the correct phone number. I'll say that again. Just because someone asks for your mobile phone number doesn't mean you have to give your actual mobile phone number. Now, with a local coffee shop, that's fine. When you're dealing with government and whatever, then obviously there's a there's a legal thing there. But I mean, I've been giving, I've got so much fake information out there about me um, that yeah, there'd be no way to trace or track me if if there mm. was a data leak. So, oh, and I know it, it gets pretty absurd. Like we went to a local. Um like one of those arcade game places and they have their own little cards that you top up. So in order to get a card, they asked for your full name and date of birth. And they needed this for adults and minors and people were just giving away full name and date of birth. And, you know, these you know 16 year old kids are typing it away in their system. So of course I'm, I gave them, you know, fake names and fake date of birth. Cause I'm like, there's no way I'm trusting you with that information. John Smith, first of the first, 1901. You look great, John. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so as far as individuals go, Ward, I mean, look, as, with risk mitigation from an individual perspective, um, there's not much you can do. You, we are unfortunately living in a system where you have to trust third parties like Optus, like your bank. You can't get around it. You can't provide a fake name. You can't provide a fake address. Yeah. You have to give them your real details. So that's something that, Unfortunately, it's a hassle that Optus customers have to deal with right now. But with what you just mentioned, is there anything else that as far as individuals can learn from this to go, okay, in the future, here's what I, I must do, other than just not give out the personal information to Tom, Dick, and Harry? Yeah, so 
from a risk mitigation point of view, and 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 we're not talking about local coffee shops, we're talking about governments and banks, stuff like that. Um, there are a couple of easy things you can do, and one is with the email, and one's with your phone. With your email, and uh, this may seem like a massive hassle, never give out the same email twice. What do I mean by that? So let's say your uh, Faris is Batman at gmail.com. That's your actual email address. Oh, dude, that's my personal one. Sorry, sorry. Uh, edit that out. <laughs> um, Faris is Superman at gmail.com. That's your actual email address. Or have you signed up for something else with that? Uh, just on Grinder with that one. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> um, so you've got your actual address, but what you can do is you can use email aliases. And I don't recommend you stay on Gmail or Hotmail or whatever like that. You need to get off that and have a look at something like ProtonMail or FastMail or some of these private email services. Uh, you can use what is called email aliasing. So you essentially create this one-time email address and you use that for your bank. You create another one, you use that for your internet service provider, blah, blah. And so you essentially, every single service that you sign up for, you've got a separate email address. Now, you might be you might be saying, oh my goodness, that's a huge pain. I've got to now remember who I signed up with what and all that kind of stuff. Well, the second part of that goes into, you need to use a password manager. And obviously a password manager enables you to create strong, unique passwords. Uh, I recommend Bitwarden, B-I-T-W-A-R-D-E-N. In the past, I've used LastPass and recommended LastPass. Um, that's a that's a conversation for another day. But a password manager also obviously enables you to create secure passwords that you don't need to remember. But it also has the ability to remember email addresses and all notes and all kinds of stuff. So if you have, for example, you sign up for a new, I don't know, um, a bank account then you can create a one-time password for your bank account, a strong password for that as well. That's, that's unique or within your password manager. So there's, there's no really, there's no excuse. There's nothing to remember. You just do that once and you save it and, and you forget it. So that's something you can do. And, and also with banks and I mean, everyone wants your mobile phone number and a lot of forms sort of require it. But I mean, more often than not, I'm able to sign up to something without my phone number. Like when push comes to shove and I say, don't have a mobile phone, usually you're able to sign up without it. So you just you just need to be a little bit stubborn. You need to be a little bit persistent, say, don't have a mobile phone number. Um, and uh, that's fine, usually in, in more cases not. So uh, date of birth, you know, when you're talking about governments and banks or whatever, you can't sort of fake that kind of stuff. So um, at least email address, phone number, and a lot of these hacks contain your login and your password. So using a password manager will also save you in those circumstances as well. But um, there are also, there, I mean, there are also other extremes you can go to. Like a lot, a lot of people that set up a PO box and when they get stuff delivered, it can get delivered by there. Um, sometimes signing up with a PO box causes a problem. You know, certain businesses don't allow you to do that. Um, other people sign up with like a virtual SIM and it, you kind of, you've got your real phone number and like an email address, you can sign up with a one-time uh, phone number. That's a good option as well. I've used that a few times, but um, yeah, that that's, that's going a little bit more extreme, but at the very least, yeah, protect your email address, one-time email address alias and protect your password. 
Uh, you can do that right now with a free password manager. Well, I've run out of questions, Gordon, but thank you very much. I think it's a very, very good summary of what's going on and what people can do. Uh, again, if you're listening to this, please head over to myprivacy.help. That is our website, and you'll find the show notes, what we're talking about, as well as other resources where you can learn to manage your own data. Anything else you'd like to add to that, Gordon? No, one one curious thing is this this hack this hacker has stolen eleven point two million dollars uh Australian, I think that is, or is that US? I'm not sure. I think actually I think that's US. One point two million dollars US. Um no, sorry. He's, one point- he's stolen, yeah. He's stolen eleven million accounts. A records, yeah. Eleven point two million yeah. records. But they're only asking for a million dollars. It's like, what is wrong with this picture? Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone, I think I saw someone tweet, uh, you can't even buy an apartment for that in Melbourne these days. <laughs> exactly. So is this a school kid who thinks that a million dollars, yeah, a million dollars, that's good enough. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe they don't have 11.2 <laughs> million records. Maybe they've only got 10,000. Like, I don't, I don't mm. know. And I guess we'll find out. And I'm sure there'll be investigations. There's definitely going to be a class action lawsuit for sure. Mm, wow. Um, and other, and and a particular family member that is with Optus, they're like, well, if I change to somewhere else, how can I guarantee my data is secure with them? And it's like, well, you can't. But, you know, a, a business has to be innocent until proven guilty. At least moving to somewhere else punishes that company for being neg- negligent. And you bet your bottom dollar that, all the other Australian internet service providers, they're scrambling to uh, update their privacy policies to get their security and privacy in place. So that's going to be a side benefit of Optus going through this pain. Other service providers are going to be um, looking at this as well. So mm. um, I can't tell you what to do. All I can do is no, suggest all, yeah. what to do. But um, yeah, um, at the very least, I would get away from Optus if if nothing else, but to teach them a lesson and, Unlike the EU, Australia doesn't seem to have the same strict fines mm. against data breaches than Europe does. Europe's extremely uh, strict. So, yeah, I was maybe because I think because even Europe yeah. now, like when you go to websites now and it has cookie preferences, it's automatically selected to, it's not going to keep track of anything unless you select OK. Whereas just a year ago, it was, oh, you come to us, we're going to take everything. Yeah, uh, what, what's that called? I, I keep on forgetting uh, what what that's what's that called. But um, yeah. Anyway, Australia doesn't have anything like that. So maybe the fine for Optus is when five million users go, switch from Optus to somewhere else. Um, that's essentially mm-hmm. the fine that they're going to have to pay the the fine of public humiliation and loss of um reputation. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, this is a developing story. I'm sure we'll catch up again about it, but thank you very much, Gordon. And remember guys, um, if you have any questions, comments, uh, yeah, head over to myprivacy.help. This is essentially what we do. We help you learn how to be the master of your own data. Absolutely, Faris. And in cases like this, it's funny because we, we specify preemptive tools and techniques, you know, how to protect yourself against this, use a VPN, do this, blah, blah. But when it comes to data lakes, there's, as, as an individual, you feel a little bit helpless because you're like, well, mm-hmm. you're controlling my data. There's nothing I can do. But actually, there, is, there are things you can do. 
give the least amount of data available. Mm. And when circumstances uh, permit, um, yeah, use one-time passwords, email addresses, phone numbers, all that kind of stuff. So there are things yeah. you can do to mitigate, not not if, but when said service is hacked and data gets leaked. So thanks, Faris. This was our second episode. Um, so we would appreciate it if you like, share, follow, um, review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Uh, myprivacy.help slash podcast will get you uh, everywhere. We'll give you links to everywhere that we're on. So including yeah. show notes and heaps of articles that I've listed um, in this episode. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit myprivacy.help.